Blackness was everywhere. It was the kind of absolute darkness that felt like complete emptiness. It felt like the total absence of everything and anything. And it was just that. It was emptiness. It was nothingness. It was blackness. It was darkness. Or as Genesis chapter 1 describes it, tohu vavohu, a complete void. But then suddenly there came an explosion of sound, a burst of light, and everything was happening all at once. In the tiniest slice of a fraction of a microsecond, 12 or more dimensions collapsed into the four we know of today. Energy and matter were shooting everywhere at an, at an unimaginable speed. God had spoken and creation was taking place. Well, that's part one of the grand story we all get to participate in. And when we do the Shabbat blessings from time to time, on pages 34 and 35, it's reflected there. But part two of this amazing tale is found not in our parsha tonight, but from last week. And I warned you last week I'm running about one, one week behind, and if I'm only one week behind, I'm doing well. But it's also continued in one sense in the parsha tonight. And that part two is almost as astounding as part one, if not more so. The story reads in Exodus 19, On the morning of the third day, there were terrific claps of thunder and constant bursts of lightning, and a huge cloud came down upon the mountain, and there was a long, loud blast as from a shofar, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out from the camp to meet God. Please understand that's exactly what took place. And, and they stood at the foot of the mountain, which is why we stand when we receive it yet again. All Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended upon it in the form of fire. Quick aside, if you hadn't picked up on it, cloud and fire. Does that sound familiar? It's part of the story of the whole of the Exodus and the walk with God through the wilderness. Anyhow, where was I? Fire. The smoke billowed into the sky as from a furnace. And the whole mountain shook with a violent earthquake. As the shofar blast grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. So the Lord came down on the top of Mount Sinai. And all the people saw the lightning and the smoke billowing from that mountain. And they heard the thunder and the long, frightening shofar blast. And they stood at a distance, shaking with fear. The God of creation had paid a visit to his creatures, and actually spoke to them. Our response should be, wow, what a day. And in case that's not our response, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning at verse 32, reminds us of the amazingness of this event. He says, ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created humans on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of the Lord speaking out of the fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by miraculous signs and wonders, by a mighty hand, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. So, 
Last week we read about that amazing experience of the giving of the Torah. But besides being the basis of the Jewish faith, it is, as the text indicates, an event unparalleled in all of history. In fact, no one ever so much as dared to invent such a story. Not any of the world's religions. God, the creator of all, actually appeared and literally spoke to millions of Jews. And he defined for the first time in history what he wants from the world. Interestingly enough, according to Jewish tradition, before he gave the Torah, certain things happened. The rabbis tell us he cured all that were present from their ailments. The blind saw and the deaf heard. Then as Rashi reminds us, then he caused everyone to see what is usually heard and to hear what is usually seen. And finally, as the Talmud says, when he actually gave the Torah, listen, this is interesting, everyone died and God brought them, God brought them back to life. Now look, at first glance, this may make no sense. I mean, after all, what do these three miracles have to do with the giving of the Torah? Well, let me suggest that they are precursors in pictures of some texts in Isaiah, chapter 2 and in chapter 11. And these are texts with which you are familiar, so I will remind you of them. Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 3 and 3, 2 and 3. The nations, the nations of the world will say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and worship the God of Jacob. And then you know what the response is. For the law will go forth from Jerusalem and the word of the Lord from Mount Zion. And at that time, Isaiah 11 tells us as it begins the chapter, a shoot will grow up or come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Branch, a messianic title. Later on in that chapter, it says, in that day, the root of Jesse. Root of Jesse? Please remember Lachadadi. What is it? Verse 4. Jesse's son, or root, comes. Jesse's son, the Bethlehemite, comes. Anyhow, the text says, The root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and will reside in his splendor. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Again, that seen on the top of the mountain. There, his holy mountain, by the way, please remember in context, is Jerusalem, hence Mount Zion. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Doesn't that sound like Isaiah 2, 2 and 3? The word of the Lord will come forth from the mountain. Okay. So no wonder Yeshua said in answering J.B. Who's J.B.? One might ask. John the Baptist. Okay. Just in case you were wondering. He said, Matthew chapter 11, verse 5, The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have ailments are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news, God's word, is preached to the poor. That's Isaiah 35, 4 and 6, 61, 1, plus an addition, an addition that comes from one of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which adds to those prophetic passages the phrase, the dead are raised. And in the, in the fragment of that scroll where that is found, it's, it occurs as part of an extensive messianic discussion. 
So what are these things as you see the connections to those texts? Let me suggest that they are a point or two and precursor of the Messianic age. And we reflect that as well with Vaiheb and Soa, which is in fact Isaiah 2, 3 and 4. The God of the universe, in other words, has drawn back the curtains of time and of eternity. And he had literally revealed himself to his people. Now look, if we think about it, if we reflect on it, the concept of revelation is an important religious idea. However, and we'll talk about some of this in the apologetics class on Thursday nights, and yes, that was a blatant commercial. Revelation. Revelation, and I don't mean the book, Revelation could in fact be the most important religious idea. It's more important, for example, than the belief in God. You might say, whoa, what? Well, think about it for a second. You see, if God exists, but he does not concern himself with the world, what difference does it make at all if he exists? If God created the universe but was too busy out there in space to communicate to and to be concerned with humans, with us, if he has nothing to say, if he has no standards to set, no expectations to convey, then what possible function does such a God serve, really serve? If he's not interested in us, why should we be interested in him? Well, the Jewish story convincingly answers, he is interested and he gets involved, and he does communicate. He is interested. He let us know that at the burning bush through Moses. He gets involved when Moses came back for the follow-up interview for his job. Exodus 6, God indicated he's going to get involved. And boy, does he communicate. That's the text from last week and this week. Exodus 20. And then, just what does he communicate to his creation? Now, look, I understand fully that often... These instructions are treated as the ten recommendations or the ten suggestions or even the ten menu selections. You know, as if you were a buffet. Okay, anyhow, you get it. So then, are they little more than nice-sounding sayings? Nice-sounding sayings such as, if at first you don't succeed, you must destroy all the evidence that you even tried. Or, experience is something you don't get until just after you need it. Here's one. Never do card tricks for the group that you play poker with. And I'm sure all of us have experienced this at one time or another. The colder the x-ray table, the more of your body that's required to be on it. Now, I'm going to stop there. I know that's not ten, that's only four, but trust me, I've got at least half a dozen more, but I'll save you the trouble of having to listen to them. No, these instructions at Sinai are quite different. In fact, they are the very words of God himself. That's why we say Vazot HaTorah, as we recognize that. And because they are that, then please understand, that means they are the ten great freedoms. Now, too often people don't understand that, and they might say, whoa, what do you mean ten great freedoms? Well, you see, the Mosaic Covenant did not follow the pattern of Hammurabi's law code. Instead, it followed the pattern of the ancient Hittite covenants and treaties. And there are some stark, stark contrasts between the two. But I don't have the time to get into those contrasts 
I do have the time to issue another commercial. We deal with them in several of the classes. The bottom line is this. If this is a law code that we're dealing with, then the bottom line is you've got to do these things. But if it's a covenant or treaty that we're dealing with, then the bottom line is you get to do these things. One interesting vowel shift that often happens in the Hebrew to change things. But that tells it all. You don't, it's not a got to, it's a get to kind of issue. The rabbis, in their own inimitable fashion, have described it this way. You're a son if you obey, you're a slave if you don't. Let me translate that for you in case you are unfamiliar with rabbinic thinking. That means you're a son if you want to, you're a slave if you have to. That means that we are not enslaved, but we are in fact enriched. And please note something else about uh, a later common uh, commentator on this text. It's Yeshua's brother, James chapter 1, verse 25, where he talks about this material and he describes it, depending on your translation, as the royal law of liberty or the perfect law of freedom. Catch that? Liberty, freedom, the whole package. And, in fact, the very first words that are found among these ten words, Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, reinforces then the nature of justice relationship. When the text says, or God says, because he's speaking, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. In other words, they are words of liberty. Furthermore, in Exodus 32.16, Moses is described much later as coming down from Mount Sinai as bearing the tablets of the law. The text there says, the tablets were God's creation, the writing God's autograph, incised, Hebrew term here, charut, incised upon or inscribed upon the tablets. Now, in the Middle Ages, our rabbis, I don't know if this is a verb form properly, punned on this verse. Pun sounds like it ought to be a verb form, but anyhow. And they suggested, and I quote, read not incised, charut, but rather as though it says freedom, charut. And then quoting Pirkei Avot, they say, for no person is free unless they are involved in the study of the Torah. End quote. By playfully suggesting the change of one vowel of the Hebrew, charut, to cherut, the rabbis explain that the essence of freedom paradoxically lies in the rule of law. Moreover, it is, as Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 12 describes it, habrit hachesed, a covenant of love. What that means, then, is the Sefer Torah is our ketubah, our wedding contract. And this is further reflected on in the words of the prophets, Hosea chapter 2. Please remember that Hosea is speaking to the northern kingdom Israel that has really gone astray from God. And to them, God says, and we reflect on this every time we lay to fill in, we quote the text, Old English, I have betrothed you unto me forever. I have betrothed you unto me in faithfulness and love. And then he adds a few more adjectives there as, or nouns there as well. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 2. You know this by now because I quote it so often. Like a bride, you followed me out into the wilderness, he says to Israel. Or Isaiah 54 and verse 5. Your husband is your maker or your creator. And what should our response be? Well, it was, we responded through the reader 
Exodus 19.8. I do. All the Lord has said, I will do. No wonder the Sephardi and North African uh, traditions concerning Shavuot, the holiday that, of course, celebrates this giving of the Torah, view this as a time in which, this being Shavuot, as the time in which we can renew our vows before God. And we utilize those traditions when we celebrate Shavuot here at the synagogue. And what should our response be? That's fairly simple. You already responded this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your life, with all your strength. Therefore, as the Chumash points out, and I quote now from one of the standard versions of the Chumash, amid thunder and lightning, and the sounding of the shofar, amid flames of fire that enveloped the smoking mountain, a majestic voice pronounced the words, which from that day to this, have been the guide of conduct to humankind. That revelation was the most remarkable event in the history of humanity. Here it goes. It was the birth hour of the religion of the spirit, which was destined in time to illumine and order the lives of all. End quote. And this is what our Parsha tonight, as well as the one we're reflecting on the Parsha from last week, is all about. But it's interesting, if you look at last week's readings, there's some interesting Haftarah portions as well. The Parsha, as already suggested, includes Exodus 19 and 20, where we have what? The ten words, as the text says, literally. That the Haftarah is in two parts. Part 1, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 6. And it's in those very texts that we have Isaiah's experience of that amazing, astounding encounter with the glory of the Lord. You encountered it already twice in the Revelation text, the Hilat Abichadashah, and in fact in the Amida section 3. The astounding glory of God, like our people encountered it in Exodus 19. And there's a second part which is most intriguing. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. In English, in many English versions, it's, chap- it's verses 6 and 7. So Isaiah 9, 5 or 6, in some translations, 6 and 7 in the other. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And these are the titles that are his. Pele, they're pairs. Some translations separate the pairs. Pele, Yoetz, uh, El Gabor, Aviad, Sar Shalom. The titles he has are Counselor of Wonders, God of Might, Father of Eternity, Prince of Peace. And then it talks about the things that will happen in those days when he will reign on the throne of David forever. And the Lord himself will do this. The Lord himself will do this. God once again present among his people. Small wonder then, Yochanan could say in his first chapter, John chapter 1 verse 14, he could speak of Yeshua as the word, Memrah. He could speak of Yeshua as the glory, Yakar. And he could also speak of him as Shekinah, the actual presence of God among his people. Do you remember the Messianic pictures accompanying the giving of the Torah that the rabbis understood took place? Remember, he 
cured all those present from their ailments. The blind saw and the deaf heard. Then he caused everyone to see what is usually heard and to hear what is usually seen. In other words, he unwrapped to a deeper extent what these texts mean. Sort of sounds like uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I've come not to set aside, but to fill full of meaning the Torah and the prophets. And then he did exactly that as he unwrapped those words in chapters 5, 6, and 7, so much so that at the end of chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the people say, wow, no one has spoken with such clarity and authority as this. And then the third thing, remember, that took place, when he came and people died, he brought them back to life. In other words, these are reminiscent of the messianic miracles that Yeshua did. It's an indicator that the messianic age had, in fact, dawned. All this is very interesting, hopefully, and enlightening, even more hopefully. But our response is the Yiddish response, new. So? Well, three suggestions here. Suggestion one. The text that they indicated for us had Moses in the mountain and the people at the foot of the mountain. So as we now understand it, perhaps, Yeshua bridges the distance between the people and their God. In other words, not that they were distant, but he brings the word even nearer because he is the word, the Memrah. He's also Yakar, the glory of God, the Shekinah, the presence of God. So second, where does that leave us? Well, when these instructions were given to us, Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, God said, you will be to me a holy nation, a special nation, a kingdom of priests. Well, that's great. Thanks a lot for dumping that on our shoulders. How do we do that? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 to 8. God says, if you follow these guidelines and instructions, the nations of the world will look at you and say, wow, what a wise and understanding people this is that has a God so near to them that he answers prayer or has guidelines so wonderful as these. That's part two in our role. Okay, well, thanks, God, even for that. How do we pull this off? That's part three, the enablement. That has to do with, as Yeshua put it, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The Spirit of God will come upon you. The Ruach Hashem will come upon you. And He will give you power. He will come upon you in a special way. And He will give you power. That's nothing new. That's exactly what the prophet Ezekiel had said concerning the covenant when it would be renewed by the Messiah. God said, I will place my spirit in you and cause you to walk according to all of my guidelines and instructions. And that's what he does for us. Oh, and again, remember, that's not new. Now, having experienced the first great movement of liberation by reaching the other shore of the Red Sea, the Israelites now live through a second amazing transformative event, the divine revelation at Sinai. Well, not at Sinai, because that sounds like the desert. On Sinai, the mountain. A physical transition, leaving the land. Sinai then symbolizes an internal metamorphosis. 
propelling the young nation from the mentality of slavery to a mindset of liberty. But please understand it's meant to be a loyal liberty. Because as we are reminded, we pass directly from the slavery of Egypt to the service of God. Oh, a rabbi of old also reflected on that. Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. It says, why we were one, at one time slaves to sin, now we've become servants to righteousness. In other words, servants or people who serve God by living those kinds of lives. You see, Revelation was not simply an event experienced by the generation that left Egypt. It calls out to us to be renewed every day. Renew our days as of old, we said. The Torah is not only the sacred scroll that we hold fast to, but it's also the ketubah and the underlying purpose for the way in which we are to live our lives and to teach our children. It's how we show our love to and for God. It was read for us, Exodus 19.8. Don read it for us. On our behalf, as if we were all reading it. All the Lord has said, we will do, we said. Whereas Yeshua reminded us, he or she who loves me will obey my guidelines. And one final reminder from the rabbi. Those who walk, Romans 8, verse 4, those who walk by the Spirit, here's how we know they're walking by the Spirit, will fulfill the righteous requirements of the Torah. And if that's what takes place in our lives, then we too can respond, wow, what a day that was. But each day we can say, wow, what a day we get to live. Take the next minute or so for a time of reflection and quiet.